Father, I am thankful for all that we have talked about this morning. So many uh, events, activities, ministries, Lord, where we are reaching those who need to know you. We are encouraging those who are your children. We are looking, Lord, for you to, to do great things through us. So I pray your blessing upon all these events that we have talked about this morning. I pray, Lord, too, for Meredith. As Pastor Brady has prayed, Lord, I also pray for you to bless her. I pray, Lord, that we have only seen the beginning of how, Lord, you will use her uh, to minister to people and how her gifts will be a blessing to many. I pray for her family, Lord, as they do begin a new chapter in their life, uh, a chapter not living here in Mecklenburg County, living close to Richmond, uh, not ministering at Olive Branch, but somewhere else. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, quickly find them a church home, and I pray that that new church home would quickly come to love them and appreciate their ministry to you, Lord, as much as we have. I pray now, Lord, that you would teach us as we uh, hear a familiar but very powerful story. And I pray, Lord, that maybe we'd see it from a different perspective. And I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, David and Goliath. And I don't mean this Davy and Goliath. Did anyone ever watch these uh, stop animation cartoons from the 60s and 70s? Uh, I found out this week that if you're a fan of it or you've never watched it, if you uh, stream, if you stream the free service Crackle, if you find that app, that streaming app, all 72 episodes of Davy and Goliath are on Crackle. So you can watch it for free. So that's just a plug for that cartoon. When I was a little kid, I'd watch it every Sunday morning before I went to church. That's when it was on our television, our channel. But anyway, nothing to do with 1 Samuel 17, just a walk back nostalgically to the 60s and 70s. But David and Goliath, even our culture knows about David and Goliath and knows the story. In our culture, it is a story about the big guy versus the little guy. And the big guy can be a big sports team, or it can be a big bully, or it can be big government, or it can be a big corporation. But this corporation, government, bully, or team has all the resources, has won all the victories in the past. They have arrogance that they will continue to rule and be victorious and they come to fight the little guy, the underdog, the one who has few resources, the one who doesn't have experience, the one who hasn't won the big game. And now they are battling. And the little guy has the perseverance, has the determination, and the little guy in the end is victorious, and the whole nation applauds. The underdog has won. The little guy has beat the big bully. David has defeated Goliath. And that is sort of the story. If you strip it away of faith and you strip it away of the reason why it's in the Bible, and if you take everything about it that I want to share with you out of it, that is the story. But it is an important part, important element of the story. Here is the big bad Goliath with arrogance. And here is little David with faith 
And that is how he defeats that giant. But I want to look at the familiar story from a little different perspective. Let's think about it in this way. Goliath was literally a big problem. Nine feet, nine inches tall. Even the head on his spear was 15 pounds. His armor weighed 125 pounds. And because he was this big problem, the Lord had work that needed to be done to defeat this giant. And from this story, we learn how people respond when there is work that needs to be done for the Lord. And so I want us to look at it from that perspective as we rehear the story. The story begins with Goliath and the Israelite army. Goliath belongs to the Philistine army. And for 40 days, Goliath has come out to the battlefield morning and evening, and taunted the Israelites. He has told them, you bring out your champion and I'll fight him, and whoever wins, that army is the victor and we conquer your people. And for 40 days, the Israelite army has heard that taunt and they have done nothing. Because every single one of them was afraid. It says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 11, they lost their courage and were terrified. In verse 24, they retreated from Goliath, terrified. They saw how big the giant was. They imagined in their mind how difficult it would be to defeat him. Uh, they imagined in their mind what it would be like to be stomped by him. Uh, they imagined what it would be to be an army defeated. And because of that, they were terrified, afraid, and they did nothing. Unfortunately, when God's work needs to be done, there are too many Christians who do nothing. Because they are afraid. They are afraid of the task at hand. Maybe they're afraid of how much it will cost. Maybe they're afraid of how uncomfortable it will be. Maybe they are they're afraid of the unknown. But for whatever reason, they become afraid. And because of that, God calls them. They hear the call and they say, no, I'm not going to do it. And they're paralyzed by fear. If you ever felt that way, Keep listening, because we have the antidote to fear when we see the life of David. There was another character that in some ways to me was even worse. See, David had seven brothers. Three of them were there at the battlefield, the three oldest. David was at home, and his father Jesse said to David, David, go to the battle. Here is some food to give to the army. And tell me how your brothers are doing. That made sense. They'd been there for 40 days. And so, of course, there was no television report. There was no iPhones. There was no way to hear how they were doing except for getting a verbal report. So Jesse sends David. David takes the food. 
He gets there, and then he hears and sees what's been going on. Of course, he didn't know either until he got there, and he hears about this giant. And his brother Eliab, the oldest, says this to David, I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. Where's, hey, brother, how you doing? You know, what, where's the, I love you, brother. Where's the, I thank you for, thanks for the food. You know, where's, how's dad? Uh, there's none of that. Uh, he sees David, and he sees uh, his little brother, and in his mind, his little brother just wants to get out of the work. You know, his little brother's supposed to be home, supposed to be taking care of the sheep. And now he's come to the battlefield, like a, a little kid coming to see a, a heavyweight bout. He wants to see the, the battle. He wants to see who's going to win, and he should be home. I don't know how Eliab can see the motive of David or see his heart, but he thinks he knows. And he calls him evil and arrogant. And unfortunately, when God's work needs to be done, there are people who will criticize those doing the work while they do nothing. If you've ever done any work for the Lord, served Him in any way, you probably have heard critics who will criticize your motive, criticize your methods, criticize your results. Well, they're not doing anything. They're just sitting on the sidelines. If you've ever experienced that, I encourage you to do what David did. He did this. He wasn't going to listen. There's no reply from David. There's no argument from David. He doesn't try to explain himself. He doesn't try to justify himself. He doesn't try any of that. His brother criticizes him, and it doesn't stop David at all. It doesn't even phase him. As he gains information about the situation and plans his strategy of action. On the other hand, if you're someone who likes to criticize but not do anything, you need to repent. You need to keep your mouth shut. Better yet, you need to use your gifts and serve the Lord. Now, of course, there are places for constructive criticism. The key word is constructive. And that can happen and does happen. How about you say to someone, let me help you. You serve along beside them, encouraging them, showing them. Maybe they aren't doing it the best way. Maybe they aren't doing it because they don't have the best experience or the most. You can serve alongside and you can help. That's a whole lot different than just standing back and criticizing everything else that everyone else is doing. There was King Saul. In some ways, as we look at how he responded, he was a very sensible man. Now, we're told that he was just as afraid as the soldiers. In verse 11 it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Saul was just as scared. As the king of Israel, as the commander-in-chief of the army, he should have been the one that had courage. 
But he didn't. And because he was just as afraid, I imagine that he was looking around for someone more appropriate to go into the battle. Sometimes that's what leaders do. Have you ever served under a boss when he has something he doesn't want to do, he always gives it to someone else to do? <laughs> that's what Saul's doing. He's afraid. And the Bible doesn't tell us. I'm using my imagination, but I'm imagining maybe he thought, well, no, I don't need to go out there. I'm the king. You know, maybe someone more expendable could go out there. Maybe, you know, that soldier who just joined last uh, month, maybe he should go out there and try it. You know, why should I, the king, it, if I go out there and if I fail, the whole nation will be in chaos, not just the army. There's got to be someone else that I can send out there. To face this giant. That sounds sensible. So sometimes when the call of God comes, Christians will think, well, not me. There's got to be somebody else. Somebody else must have more experience, uh, have more courage, uh, have a better chance than me. That's who should go do it. And leaders like to do this too. When that fails, they like to pay someone to do it. So uh, Saul offers a reward for any volunteer because no one was volunteering. So he said, hey, you will become rich if you fight this giant. And he says, you will become a prince because you will get to marry my daughter. And I think this is the best reward of them all. And I have never heard any politician, I have never heard any leader in modern history say this as a reward. Your whole family will never have to pay taxes again. Could you imagine that? That was like, like if you played the lottery and that's what you won. I think I did almost be better than the million dollar prize. So Saul didn't want to do it. He wanted someone else to do it. He couldn't get anybody else to do it. So he said, I'll just pay somebody to do it. And he threw out a reward, hoping that would entice someone to take on this giant. And so when God's work needs to be done... Sometimes people reason, well, the sensible thing is, let's pay someone else to do it. Now, I want to be careful here because I realize as I stand here, I receive payment, a paycheck from Olive Branch Baptist Church. So you can say, well, pastor, that's easy for you to say you're getting paid to say what you're just saying. I think there's a world of difference in these two different attitudes. The one attitude says, we want God's work to be accomplished. And the question is, what is the best way for that to happen? And sometimes the best way is to pay somebody. The person is paid, and it's the best way God's work is accomplished. The other attitude is completely different. The other attitude is, well, I don't want to do it. I'm just going to find someone, find some sucker and pay him, and they can do it for me. That attitude is trying to get out of doing God's work. That attitude doesn't care whether God's work gets accomplished or not. That attitude is just trying to remove the responsibility for me and give it to somebody else. Do you see the difference between the two attitudes? And so sometimes... The best way for God's work to get done is for 
someone to be paid in doing it. But we should never have the attitude, well, no one else will do it. I don't want to do it. Let's find some sucker and pay them to do it. And that's what Saul was trying to do. David did volunteer. And, David, and Saul says to David, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth and he's been a warrior since he was young. So what Saul did here, when someone finally did volunteer, he sized him up. Saul had been in battle before. Saul had seen soldiers win. He'd seen soldiers be defeated. And so he figured, the kind of volunteer I need is someone who's experienced, someone who's won battles, someone who's led in battle, someone who is courageous and has the experience. And when he saw David, he said, nope, you're not the one. And he dismissed David. How many times do we do that, especially Christian leaders? We have people eager to do the work of the Lord, and we see them, and we evaluate them, and we say, nope, you're too young. You're too inexperienced. You don't know what you're doing yet. You need to wait a while. You can make a list of excuses. We look at them and say no. And how many times can we quench the Spirit of God and, and quench uh, the, the fire and, and the desire of someone who wants to serve the Lord when we simply tell them no because we don't look past the tried and true methods? I'm not saying there's not a place to evaluate and be discerning. Of course there is. Uh, for example, we're talking about Vacation Bible School. One of someone says, hey, I'd love to serve in a vacation Bible school. And they hate kids, and the kids hate them, and they're terrible at it. We don't say, oh, come on, it'll be fun. There's discernment. But we shouldn't just dismiss someone offhand because they don't fit the criteria or the mold that we have in our mind of who should serve the Lord. Finally, Saul relents, and David is given the green light to go into the battle Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. So Saul sends David into the battle with his own armor. Helmet, shield, sword, everything that you're supposed to use in battle. Everything that's always worked in battle. We've never done it any other way in battle. This is how you fight. And this is especially how you fight giants. But Saul didn't look at the unique circumstances of David. Who this person was and what his skills were. He simply looked at a volunteer who needs to do it the same way we've always done it. And that's how Christian leaders look at things often. Look at that list. I can make an argument, this is very sensible. Let's find someone other than me to do it who is appropriate at it. Uh, let's throw money at it, give someone some money to do it. Let's always evaluate things by the past, and let's always do things the way we used to. That sounds pretty sensible, but it was absolutely wrong. There is a place for common sense, but common sense doesn't always lead us to the truth or lead us to action. 
In this case, the sensible approach was the wrong approach. Before we see the right one, very quickly, let's talk about Goliath. We've been talking about him all through this sermon. This is how arrogant he was. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. Saul was arrogant. I assume he was undefeated as a champion for the Philistine army. He had never lost. He'd always won, and he had won against men in armor. He had won against battled, hardened veterans. Uh, he had won against people older, experienced. And now there was this little kid with no armor and something in his hand. He felt like he had succeeded so much in the past, he could always keep doing what he had done, and he would never fail. Sometimes individuals who serve the Lord or churches will have success. I like to use the word fruitfulness because we rely on God and we do His will and obey Him and then things happen. Uh, people are saved. People grow in their faith. Uh, churches grow and there's fruitfulness. There's success. But there's always the temptation to think, well, we figured it out. All we got to do is this, 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 and this, and we'll be successful next time. And we'll be successful all the time. In fact, I don't think anyone would dare to say this, but the attitude is we don't need God anymore. We got this. We got it all figured out, God. When that happens, I think God likes to remind us who's really in charge. And He has to bring us down a notch. And humble us. As individuals who serve the Lord, especially ones who have some fruitfulness, for churches who have some success, we should never feel as though we figured it out, we know what we're doing, we can always keep doing the same thing, and we will always be successful. We have this. Because that's often, at that point, we are ignoring God completely. We're not listening to Him anymore. We're not relying on Him anymore. We're doing our own thing, relying on our own strength and our past success. And that, I believe, is when churches start to fail. Because it's no longer about God. God's not in it anymore. It's only about us. The remedy to fear and common sense when it's the wrong sense and arrogance is this. Faith. That's what David had, and that's why he was fearless. But I want you to see first what motivated him with these verses. Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies the God of the ranks of Israel, you have defied him. Do you see what David saw this problem as? He didn't see the problem as a giant. 
He didn't see the problem as a battle to be won. He saw someone defying God. And that's what motivated him to put an end to this giant's mouth. He was motivated by the glory of God. He was motivated by lifting God up, by God's name being lifted up and glorified. That's what he was motivated by. He wasn't motivated by himself to prove something to his brother, to show something to Saul. He wasn't motivated by the reward. He was motivated by God's glory. And when we do the work of God, we must always remember that, that we're doing God's work for His glory. It's not our work. It's not so that we receive a pat on the back or that we receive accolades. It is His work for His glory. You know the story how once Saul put the armor on David, David tried it on. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. David was smart enough to know this, that he was gifted. And he knew what his gifts were. Uh, he knew how to use a sling and a stone. He had killed lions and bears. He had killed wild animals with that, those weapons. And with those weapons, he knew he could fight. We need to use the gifts that God has given us. David said, well, it says, Instead he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in a pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. That was David's gift. What's your gift? We use our gifts that God has given us to do His work. I truly believe that if every Christian used their gifts that God has given them, every Christian would be serving and every Christian would be happy in their service and the world would be a completely different place. It's a perfect system. Where it breaks down is God calls people to serve, to use their gifts, and they say, no. So now God's work's not getting done. And there's other Christians who see that, and they kind of feel guilty and say, well, gosh, someone should do it. This needs to be done. But they're not gifted at it. But they jump in anyway. They try it. They don't like it. They get discouraged. They don't see much fruit. They don't like it, discouraged, they're criticized, there's not much fruit. Is that a recipe for success? <laughs> they give up. The work doesn't get done. Well, what happened? It wasn't that person. It was the person who was gifted, who should have been doing it, wasn't doing it. So it's vitally important that we as Christians know what we're gifted at. I think the best way is to try different things if you don't know. I think you find out very quickly. Try something. If it doesn't work, you don't like it, you're not fruitful at it, move on to something else. When you find what you're gifted at and you do it, you will feel a happiness, you will feel reward for it, and you will be fruitful at it. And you will impact lives. Finally, David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of of this 
Philistine. David was fearless because he had faith that God would give him the victory. God had given him the victory in the past. He was confident, not in his own experience, his own giftedness. He was, had faith in what God had done for him already. So he knew it was God's name being defied. It was God's battle. God was going to win it. That's where his faith came from. He didn't have faith in himself. He had faith in God. It wasn't his battle. It was God's battle. So of course God was going to win. Who can beat God? Who can defeat him? No one. So that's why David, without fear, went to that giant. And you know how successful he was. Uh, the sling, one stone, one shot right to the giant's head, knocked him out. David runs, grabs the giant's sword, cuts the giant's head off. David kept that sword as a trophy, as a reminder, again, of God's strength and that God wins the battle. Goliath's head was paraded around for all to see that God is the victor. Finally, now all these soldiers have no fear. They've seen a victory. And then they go and they rout the Philistines. Uh, do you see how quickly? There were 40 days of fear and nothing being done, despite an army and a king. And one morning or afternoon, all it took was one young man with faith. And a giant was defeated, an army was defeated, and a nation was rallied, and there was a new hero and a new chapter in the nation of Israel. Do you see what faith accomplished? Do you see what one young man, hearing the name of God defied, wanting to do the work of God for the glory of God, this faith, what he accomplished? God will do the same through you, through this church. And that is my prayer this morning. Father, we pray for you to work through us as you did that day when the giant was defeated. Lord, I pray for my brothers or sisters this morning, those who may be afraid, those who may not be using their gifts, those who are critical of others but they're not doing anything, those who are being very sensible about their obedience to you, but they're not listening. I pray for those this morning, Lord, that they would repent of fear, inaction, a critical spirit, a common sense view of thing that leaves you out and leaves faith out. Lord, may we as a church, may we as individuals, wherever we see that, repent of it and denounce it. Lord, I pray instead that we would listen to your call. When we hear it, we would say yes and obey. Lord, I pray that we would go and do your work without fear. Filled with faith, ready to see 
what you will do to bring glory to your name. Lord, I pray it would be so here at Olive Branch and in this community. And Lord, speak to us now to show us our place where we will be obedient and do great things for you. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.